Hey guys, this is Matt Weaver with Bible Truth Project, and today I have a treat for you. We are talking with Andrew Jones, who is live at Mount Sinai in Arabia. And uh, Andrew, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. This is an absolute treat for us, uh, especially us who are in the States, kind of COVID-bound here and unable to get out and see stuff. So this is an awesome, uh, really, really a special thing for us to, to see. So thank you so much. Glad to be here with you virtually and glad to share um, from the land of Midian. Yeah, so behind you, if people can can see on the video, behind you is actually the mountain and or the lower peak of the mountain and the area where the cave is at, etc. So I guess just to begin with here, tell us a little bit why you got into this and um, and kind of where that journey has gone. Yeah, so I first learned about this in the early 90s. I was in middle school and a guy named Ron Wyatt uh, came to Sacramento, California to um, give a, a one night uh, lecture about his uh, different discoveries and claims. And uh, my father went to it because it was a school night, it was a Thursday night. And so I had homework and so my father went for me and he came back and said, hey, this guy said he found Mount Sinai and the Red Sea Crossing. And so um, I bought his book. And then right after that, I went ahead and uh, um, uh, went to uh, uh, look. Um, uh, I called the operator. I'm sorry, because there was no internet back then. And so I called the operator, and uh, they got me in contact with um, Ron. I called 411. They found his uh, uh, phone number, and uh, so uh, and that was like 91 or 92. And that was um, it. Was until. Uh, the late uh, until he passed away, I used to talk to him a lot, and uh, so yeah, that's kind of my story on that. And then in, um, in 2016, I first came here on a business visa, and we were able to get in through an invite with a Saudi prince. And so since 2016 up until now, I've been making um, over 20 trips uh, into the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Um, driving, walking, hiking over 20,000 miles on the ground here. Just, you know, try to understand the exodus, uh, share it with those who can make it out here. Yep. Um, and exploring on my own, doing my own videos and whatever. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I, uh, I personally got involved in this research. Yeah, I think it's really exciting and actually kind of shares, I mean, to a degree, a similar story. So this is when I was young, too. My dad actually got a hold of some Ron Wyatt um videos or I'd heard about him and ended up going down, this is probably mid-90s, and met him and talked to him, et cetera, down in Tennessee. So that's, that's again, how we kind of stumbled across the mountain, et cetera. Of course, later found out about Cornuke and some of the others that were going to the site. But the, uh, but yeah, it's an absolutely amazing site. I uh, was lucky enough to go there two years ago. And I think what really stood out to me when you're there in person compared to some of the videos and stuff that we've seen in the past, which by the way, um, when some of the first videos started filtering back that you shot um, with the drones and stuff, et cetera, at there at the beginning and some of your first trips, it was so, it was, it was unbelievable. It was because, you know, Saudi Arabia was so closed off, right? And it's like so hard to get into unless you had an invite or official business or anything like that. So there just wasn't much content out there. And so, um, you shot some amazing, you know, 4K drone footage back in those early trips, and just seeing that was just like, wow! Like, t 
totally took it to the next level because unfortunately, you know, the guys in the 90s, the equipment just wasn't that good. So to actually see that was just like, it really was something. Of course, seeing it in person is much better. But still, it, 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 it was amazing. But the, uh, the thing that really stood out to me on, that, on the trip to when we were there two years ago, on the split rock, the, the size of it is way bigger than what you can kind of um, discern from a photo or a video. It's, it's huge. So anyway. Yeah. Um, in fact, um, yeah, on my first trip here in 2016, um, the split rock was my favorite site. That was the most impressive, le left the most uh, uh, memories, just being there and thinking of the water, the big miracle of the water coming out of that rock, the rivers of water. Uh, I had, I'm, you know, the scene in person, I've seen the old, you know, the Caldwell photos and some of the, the old uh, grainy videos, you know, again, yeah. as you said, they didn't have 4K cameras back then, but they, right. they did a great job getting the word out. I mean, it was yeah. only their information for yeah. so many decades um, until we finally um, were able to get in some good equipment in uh, 2016 in the fall. We brought our first drone over here, yeah. um, you know, it just opened the doors for others to come too. And so it's, uh, I'm, I'm so glad on, um, if you go to YouTube, you'll find a lot of people who work here in the kingdom who are doing um, the same thing. Like they come out here yep. on their own and they're making videos and uploading it to the channel. So it's great to see all this. So one, one of the, I guess, there's several important facts about this mountain that make really differentiate it from the traditional site and some of the other candidates that are out there. Number one, and I think it's probably the most important point and I'd like to hear your comments on it, is the whole Midian connection. Because the Bible clearly states that Moses left Egypt, went to Midian, and was with Jethro in Midian, and um, stayed there, ended up marrying his daughter, etc. And then when he went back, he brought the children of Israel to the same region. Um, what are your thoughts on the whole Midian connection, some of the discoveries, etc.? That you've that you've found in your travels around the area and talking to locals, etc. Yeah, you uh, said it correctly. Uh, this is probably the most uh, the, the strong or the strongest line to where you're going to find Mount Sinai is the Midian connection. Ways around that, um, they'll say things on the land. Um, but the land of Egypt, it says he went to Midian, you know, like it was a, a location, a place, not just um, someone's tent that they moved around it. You know, Midian did not just travel around with Jethro, <laughs> wherever Jethro's tent was, <laughs> was suddenly in Midian. It was a look, you know, it was a location. Right. Um, on top of it, you do find this. Uh, there's ancient civilizations that I mean, you have some pieces of pottery, maybe some Bedouins, um, uh, and then you have, of course, the mining activity of the pharaohs. But in regards to like a civilization or a, um, a country living down in that area, uh, no, it's a very remote mountainous region. Um, but over here, you have a number of oases. You have uh, their pottery making sites, their mining sites, um, and the archaeologists do state this is the land of Indian. And so you can't get around that. So if you finally, if they would just accept that Midian is a location, a very specific area, then you have to then obviously answer the question of well, how did Moses take Jethro's sheep 
from this area to Mount Sinai, if you're going to put Mount Sinai in the Sinai Peninsula, right? Um, if you put a map up, you can show people that that this area is on the eastern side of the Gulf of Aqaba. So how do they get across? There was no um, Red Sea crossing from Jethro Sheep. They had to go up around the tip of the Gulf of Aqaba through modern Elat, uh, all the way back down. And then that is where you is to bring the Israelites back here to worship. It's quite a journey to bring the sheep on for no reason when there's plenty of watering holes and oasis in the land of Midian. And on top of it, you do find explorers from you know a couple hundred years ago talking about the Bedouins in this area doing this type of um, migration where it, it is not a journey from Midian to the Sinai Peninsula, but a journey from a lower elevation to a higher elevation. Mm-hmm. And so that's a seasonal thing that they would do yep. based on the, you know, the temperature and the weather. And so and when it gets hot in the summer, they go higher up to the mountains. And guess what mountain range is right near one of the largest Midianite sites of Albada. On the east side of Albada is the Jebel Allah's range with the Jebel Makla and the other peaks that forms this area we believe to be Horeb. Yep. And we believe uh, to be Sinai. And so it's perfect sense. It's within uh, the range that the Bedouins would have taken the sheep to have gone from the area of Albada up into the mountains of what we call today Jebel Allah's. And for Moses to see the burning bush there on Mount Sinai. Um, you can't get around that. So if you can accept that, then suddenly you're looking at, you have to find a Mount Sinai location um, near a Midianite settlement um, that is in Northwest Saudi Arabia. And so if you look at all the geography uh, of this area, the best spot, we believe, is the Jebel Makla area, which we're at the base of it right here. It has the giant plane in front of it, et cetera, et cetera. But um, to me, uh, this Midianite connection is the strongest piece of evidence to uh, looking for Mount Sinai. Yeah, and there's also some connections in the ancients. I mean, I think a lot of people think somehow this is a modern invention or a modern thought, but this is... Obviously, it was biblical, but in the in the in the New Testament era, you have Paul talking about um, Sinai and Arabia. Obviously, in a metaphor that he's giving, but he still names Sinai and Arabia. Later, you've got Philo kind of referencing the region and the the highest peak in the mountain, uh, or the yeah the highest mountain in the range or the or or in the region median, um, being the location of Sinai. And there's a, there's a lot of evidence throughout the years. So this is not something that um, is just, a, if you will, a new discovery. This, there's, been a, there's a chain of evidence, unfortunately, through uh, time and history and just connect, di- you know, disconnect, I guess you could say, in civilizations. This information was lost somewhat to the West. And um, yeah. it was some of those early people that suggested it. And uh, Ron going over in the modern time and getting some videos and stuff where all of a sudden now we have a site. And a lot of people need to realize it's difficult uh, for Westerners, uh, as far as archaeologists, to get in there to actually do anything. Now, they've done some local archaeological digs, etc. But but generally speaking, there's not a, been space or time uh, or resources thrown at doing some uh, archaeological uh, archaeology and archaeological digs, you know, in, in any major sense in, in the region to find evidence as well. So some of that stuff is, you know, probably forthcoming at some point and, and et cetera. But um, from your interacting with the locals, like everyone pretty much points to, everybody points to this region being the Mountain of Moses. We had some exposure to the locals that live right there. Um, 
But as far as, you know, and they, of course, all tell us the mountain of Moses. But what is the general feeling that you get when you're talking to locals as you're driving around the whole region? Yeah, a lot of people tell you, especially in this general area in front of the mountain, uh, well, even on the about that side, the west side, that Moses and they say the Yehudites or the Israelites yeah. came yeah. through here. Uh, it's just something like it's well known in their local tradition, in the Muslim tradition here. Uh, and they don't, uh, you know, they don't say much about the Sinai, the tourist pilgrim site in the Sinai Peninsula, right. but they do point to this site here as being Mount Sinai, which, you know, what's really interesting, you know, back in the early uh, 80s or mid 80s, when Ron came out here in 84, and then he was invited officially back in 85 with David Fazel. Um, David Fazel verifies that Ron was told this by the locals and the locals told Fazel this too. They said, Hannah Jebel Musa, here is the mountain of Moses. Now, this is before any Ron Wyatt talks, any Ron yeah. Wyatt YouTube videos are out there, um, before Mueller stuff, whatever. You know, Mahoney films were not out. Yep. So where do they get this tradition right. from? This is definitely something that was uh, coming from their um, information and their history outside of the Western Christian pilgrim site in the Sinai Peninsula. Yep. Um, and, and not even in the 1980s you're looking at. If you read some of the older literature of explorers who came through, especially the Hajj route that went down mm -hmm. through Elbada, uh, and nearby is this coastal town they call the Port of Midian. It's the uh, oasis of Magna mm -hmm. that um, they say is the Springs of Moses. You know, There's even a tradition that these could be the 12 wells of Elam some people mm -hmm. have. And others say it's the uh, coastal camping site after Elam. But at any rate, it was in this area that explorer from the Ottoman Empire time, and I forget his name, but he went through there in the early uh, 1700s. And he recorded that the locals not only showed him these springs of Moses here, but they showed him a rock nearby that they claimed Moses struck with the water came out of. And so the, uh, there was a, a later, like about 200 years later in the early 1900s, uh, a Czech explorer came through here and he recorded, he, he mentions this in his footnotes, and he was a little confused. He was thinking this was the second rock, the one at Kadesh, that mm. Moses was supposed to talk to. Yeah. And so he was saying, no, that rock is up in Petra. That's a traditional site of Kadesh is, uh near Petra. Yeah. And so he was thinking that the, the, the locals had their facts wrong. Well, if you read first rock, the one that Moses struck at Rephardim, and so while Magna is not Rephardim, it is very close to the giant sweat rock the cult that's found in the 1990s. And so here, again, you have this tradition about 300 years ago of the locals telling Western explorers, or you know, this time it was an Ottoman Empire explorer coming through, that one of the key events of the Exodus story that happened at the last camping site before they camped in front of Mount Sinai, at Rephardim, the place where Moses struck the rock, they're telling him this happened in Northwest Saudi Arabia. And, you know, this is way before anyone else was out here doing Ron White videos. Uh, so uh, this is uh, really uh, interesting to see this type of information, you know, being passed down th through um, uh, generation uh, until you get to now when you have, you know, the tourists out here and people, um, you know, they'll show you YouTube videos about it. But definitely they were not influenced by these, um, you know, these, this type of media back, you know, 300 years ago. Correct. Yep, absolutely. And I was, I was actually, I found it interesting too, like on the, in uh, our tour guide, uh, there were several, several locals that we interacted with that was with, that were with us. Uh, but, you know, generally speaking, they don't, they didn't have exposure either to our Western Christian, um, 
uh, I guess, how would you say it, opinions on, on Sinai, et cetera. And, and it was kind of like, you know, when you, you bring up that, like, the surprise at the evidence from Moses, they were kind of like, well, of course Moses was here. What do you mean? Like, it's like, how how could you not know that Moses, you know, were, was in this region, et cetera? And uh, I just thought it was interesting from you know, from this from our Western perspective going there. We tend to think like, you know, hey, have you ever heard of Moses in the area? And they're like, yeah, like of course. To me, that just confirms <laughs> the strength of the tradition. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of people that, oh, this is impossible. Blah blah blah. Listen, if you, a lot of times when you, when it comes to these cultures and societies, the the verbal, the hand me downs, they have a lot of truth to them. So. I think it just builds the case for for the mountain, etc. Um, what about the? This is a question I want to ask you. I know you've talked about it before, but your personal theory about the blackened rocks. Um, I know it's not ash; it's actually a, a change in the um, composition of the rocks. But just in your opinion, do you think that's because you've you've been up on the mountain and seen down the backside, etc. Is it something that's unique to the top of the mountain in your opinion, or is this you know is this just something that was is volcanic, like some of the other people tend to to say? Well, um, yeah. So about the rock, I know a couple of people have um, gone on YouTube and said they could um, smell or taste the black, the burntness. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or others have said they were able to wash off. The black um uh, none of those are true um yeah. uh, i've been up there four times um explored both the northern and southern uh, ridges um first of all when you get to the top you do see even on google satellite maps yep. that the basalt um layer covers multiple mountains and goes down the west side all the way to other mountains on the west side in midian so the question is not is is the basalt the results of god's presence which you find basalt around the world the question i think people should focus on is um, is there anything that we can test for that would show that God's presence did physically change um, the basalt up there? Uh, I think the basalt was already there. Now, did the basalt is shown in a form of, uh, <coughs> what do you want to call it, desert varnish, ox um, an oxidation level? Um, so this oxidation and varnish, um, it does happen naturally. So the question would be, did his presence speed up the process or leave some other type of uh, physical change on a molecular level that we haven't uh, tested for. You know, people have tested for the type of rock and we know it's, you know, basalt. Um, but uh, there's a couple scientists who are Christians who said, hey, you know, why don't we test something else and see if there's a, a change on the outside thin layer um, that would show something. Again, it's hard to know because, you know, presence was also at the burning bush and it, and so the question is is that the same type of thing that happened on top of the mountain um the, the fire and smoke was it just um you know part of god's um presence up there and part of the show for the you know the israelites or did it physically um cause this so that there was something uh, uh, melting or changing or burning on on these rocks up there and so uh, right now uh you know we we do have some uh, lines of research to continue, and we do have a um, uh, university in the Middle East who has a very, um, uh, uh, what do you want to call it, where they can study stuff like this, who have offered to check out these samples and help us collaborate on this. 
And so we're going to get them samples and hopefully have something um, to report back. And again, so when I when I I do sometimes bring rocks back to you know, some spe friends, special friends, because it's a lot to go up the mountain and come back. And you know, um, so I do get some that um, you know I don't worship it as an idol, but whatever's up there, and those yeah. rocks were in God's presence. You know, they were, this is Mount Sinai. So just like when you go to the Red Sea crossing, and I get seashells or sand. Yeah. Or, you know, you go any place on the world and you try to collect a little natural thing for a oh. souvenir. That you know, that's how I view it up there. It's uh, there's no radiation. Some people have asked, do you get radiation sickness? Um, <laughs> others have said, hey, hey, you should take your shoes off because this is holy ground. Um, now I have not tried climbing a, a tall mountain with my shoes off, and I don't think Moses did that either. He just took his shoes off around the burning bush area. Um, so no, we believe that the mountain itself is physically holy anymore. Um, you know, everyone goes up to now, including mules. Um, I, I do believe God has preserved it as evidence for the Bible, yeah. but you know, his presence has left it uh, when they left the Israelites, uh, and to go to Mount Moriah and Zion and, you know, and something that I, I tell people that we should worship or like worship the rocks because this is something special but uh, we will you know follow all the lines of research and we do have some extra research we want to do that a couple um, christian who are uh scientists suggested that we check out so we're going to do that awesome well that sounds exciting i know you've been busy you've lived over there uh kind of studying almost seemingly full-time to what from what i can tell for what, a little over a year now, two years? Well, yeah, so I was um, in Turkey. We have a separate project outside of um, yep. the Mount Sinai research. And so in 2019, I was in Turkey, and I overstayed my visa when I was there. I misread the visa information. So I got, um, not banned, but they basically say if you overstay your visa, you can't come back for three months, okay. depending on the, how many weeks you stay over. And so um, in the early 2000, when I came, uh, 2020, when I came back in, my friend said, hey, we're, you know, we're going to do a better process this time and try to do a, a, basically a residency visa so that I could stay longer and not have that issue because we were really involved in the Ozark project. Yep. Uh, and then the, the, pa the pandemic hit. So, yep. yes, and when the pandemic hit, I was like, no, I'm just going to make this my home for now. It's easier to travel in the region in case the borders close. And so, yeah, I've been in uh, Turkey since, um, uh, what was it, uh, late February. And then uh, just uh, about a month ago, I came to Saudi Arabia. So I was in Turkey a little, nice. almost two years yeah. on the, the Noah's Ark project. I'm so glad to be back here. It's, it's great to uh, be back exploring Midian again and showing people the sites. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about uh, the websites, et cetera, how people can uh, join trips, et cetera. Um, you do tours, especially this time of the year when it's cooler versus in the summer when it's hot. So give us a little bit more information about that, and then we'll wrap this up. Well, uh, if people want to come over here on a, on a – we do small group tours um, – and they want to hear uh, our lectures at the sites and interact with the locals and, you know, just kind of spend a, a lot more time on the ground and more than most tours do, then they can check out discoveredsinai.com. Um, and so on there, they can go to the tours menu. We have an Exodus tour, and then we also have a Mount Sinai tour. They're both a week long, or five days long, but uh, with travel time, you know, it's about a week. And so they can go that way. If they can't make it over on a tour, um, they can check out our on YouTube, um, our social media sites on Facebook, Instagram. Just look up Discovered uh, Media, 
and you will find um, our videos there. And if they do come over on their own and they don't want to pay for a tour, I've met many people over here who have uh, showed up and I've uh, emailed them before and showed them how to get here. So you can contact us through the website and we can tell you like where to go, where hotel, you know, the hotels you could stay at, where to get your car rental, you know, which wadi to drive down, uh, what Bedouin to say hi to. You know? <laughs> so we do have friends in there. So we, we, we're very uh, detailed yep. in our help. And yep. um, I have long emails between many people <laughs> who've come out here and we're more than willing to help people who don't go on our tours. So it's not a money-making thing for us. Yeah, it does sure. help us on our research though. Sure. And so, um, but yeah, uh, yeah, check out the YouTube channel. That's our main um, one. And then we do Instagram. But if they're on Facebook, you know, uh, then they can check out our discussion group there where and ask questions. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. I appreciate the time. Um, it's, it's very special for us. So blessings for you for that. And thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. Hopefully we can do this again in the future. Awesome. Thank you, sir.